0: On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between, this is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. All right, I hope you enjoyed a beautiful off day. Man, what a gorgeous day to get out on the links or out on the water, hang out for a walk. I'm a downtown resident, so just humming along and enjoying my day, and uh, I hope you did as well. Uh, looking around at the league today, not much action today. Looking around at our agenda, we are going to talk about yesterday's loss and kind of wrap up that Dodgers series and why it was such a bad matchup for the Brewers. We're also going to talk uh, a little bit about Keston Hira because it is something that comes up every single show. It seems like when's Keston coming, when's Keston coming. Uh, we're going to get a little check-in on the Miners with our good friend of the program, Charlie Green, Charlie Green, the assistant director of player development, also one of the catching gurus that helped the Brewers uh, you know, fix Omar Narvaez and Manny Pina and Jonathan Lucroy and now William Contreras. So plenty about William and plenty about the farm system as well in the latter stages of the show. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. That's the old national bank talk and text line, old national bank. Get old. Let's talk a little bit about yesterday's loss. It was not a pretty one, 9-1 uh, to the to final. It was never in question after like the fifth inning, given how it started, too, with Wade Miley retiring the first nine in a row, uh, then he gives up the back-to-back home runs, and things escalated quickly, as Ron Burgundy once said. Uh, but some of the numbers from this really fly off the page. It's insane to see what Clayton Kershaw did. And if you want to talk about the fact that the the Brewers have struggled against lefties, yes, that's a fact. But this is Clayton Kershaw we're talking about. Everybody struggles against Clayton Kershaw. This dude's the first ballot Hall of Famer. He's going to win 90% of the vote easily when he arrives in the Hall of Fame whenever that day comes. So point your anger elsewhere is what I'm trying to say with, yes, they have trouble with lefties. This is not the lefty to say that, oh, Yeah, see? Look how bad it was against Clayton. Clayton Kershaw was on another level. Here's here's some of the numbers to prove it. 19 of 24 first pitch strikes. That's ridiculous. In total, he threw a 76% strike rate. He only threw 21 pitches out of the zone of the 93 that he threw. That's insane. So 76%. That's the fifth highest rate of his career in any start. That is... That is what we call in the zone. And furthermore, this has been a point of emphasis for him in the fact that he is trying to fill up the zone a little bit more this year. In fact, three of his five highest rates of strikes have come this season. So he's he's feeling it right now. He's looking like a, a Cy Young contender, even at age 36. So it's been uh, fun to watch Clayton Kershaw, except when he's facing the Brewers like he did yesterday. Another thing that happened yesterday, of course... Wade Miley. So, Wade had been rolling, been doing great, nine up, nine down, working quickly, and then the home run ball came, and more importantly, the walks came. You cannot, and I tweeted this, cannot walk the nine hitter multiple times and expect to survive, and expect to get through that unscathed. He didn't give up a run until the top of the fourth inning on the back-to-back homers from Freddie Freeman and Will Smith, and looked like everything was going to be okay, especially when William Contreras hit the home run at the bottom of the inning. Like, all right. They're in this. It's only 2-1. to Miley's fine. Let's get her going. But then things fell apart, started to fall apart in that fifth inning. So a pop-out on the first batter, James Altman. Then a single by Miguel Rojas. A stolen base, E2, puts him to third. And then it seemed like from there, everything got out of whack for Wade Miley. A walk to Trace Thompson, who is hitting like a buck 60 coming into this game. A walk to Austin Barnes, a nine-hole hitter, that just can't happen. So now you load the bases, and you think you're getting out of it when Mookie pops out. All right, two outs, got a chance to get out of this. But this is where the walking the nine-hitter multiple times comes back to bite you, especially against a lineup like the Dodgers. Because as opposed to walking the nine-hitter, maybe you would have been able to get out of it with Mookie Betts there being the third out. Instead, you got to face Freddie Freeman now. Freddie makes you pay, a single that scores two. And then that would uh, make it a 4-1 game. They would add more in the 6th inning after he had departed. Colin Ray struggled for the first time really in a while. And uh, it never looked back. 8-1 the final. Wade Miley, he had 11 fly balls against him in this game. That's actually the second most he's had in the game this year. And he's had a lot of pop-ups. He's actually got an elite pop-up rate so far this year. He's not getting a million ground balls as much anymore. But the pop-ups have been really encouraging. But this is where I think the matchup really hurts the Brewers. The Dodgers, and I had this discussion with Bill Schroeder during the game on television. The Dodgers are a team that live and die by the fly ball. They have the highest fly ball rate in all of baseball. And you look at their batting average, if you look at the traditional numbers, you're going to think this team's not very good. Their batting average is in the bottom five. Their slugging is middle of the pack. But their home runs are near the top. But yet, their batting average. What's going on with their batting average? Batting average isn't everything, y'all. And the reason why they live and die with the fly ball is because that's where you actually have a better chance for power. Not necessarily for batting average. So the Dodgers are in this frame of thinking where we would rather you pop out, look at the situation with Mookie Betts. One out, bases loaded. We would rather you pop out on an infield fly because you're trying to elevate the baseball than you try to poke a ground ball, and it turns into a double play. Furthermore, when you're consistently hitting fly balls and trying to elevate the ball, that leaves you susceptible to swing and miss. They actually have one of the highest whiff rates in baseball. But yet, they're one of the more selective teams in baseball. Nobody swings physically less than the Dodgers. But they still swing and miss more than average. So it's like a a little bit of an oxymoron there. They don't swing a lot, but when they do, they're swinging and missing more than most, but at the same time, they're still doing damage. When you are living and dying with a fly ball, contact pitchers like Wade Miley, luck's going to run out, and he wasn't getting a lot of ground balls in this game. If he was getting them to pop out and roll over, it would be a different story, but there were a lot of fly balls to the outfield, not just that pop out to Mookie Betts. That's why I think it was a bad matchup for Wade Miley against these Dodgers. Uh, the other thing is the bullpen finally came back down to earth in this one. The Colin Ray, no one knows what exactly is going to happen. Craig counsel is hinted at a six-man rotation, but with Colin Ray coming in to get work, it suggests the fact that, look, he's not going to pitch again for a little bit, given today was an off day. You got Corbin Burns going tomorrow. Adrian Hauser is going to start on Saturday, then you're back to normal on Sunday. So, it's not going to be Colin Ray, at least maybe until late next week, but we'll have to wait and see on that. Yoel Pyomps was fine, and then Hobie Milner and Devin Williams had to get work because they barely pitched this month. Uh, Colin Ray came in with a fire hose, and he has made a relief outing since 2021. He inherited a couple of runners. They all scored, and the Brewers fall 8-1. to It's been a weird month of April for the bullpen. With runners on base, just simply runners on base, opponents are slugging 541 in May against the Brewers bullpen, that's the second worst rate in baseball. So, not only are they doing damage, you know, period with runners on, they're doing it with slugging. They're doing it with extra base hits, and that's something to keep an eye out for for the rest of this month. The Royals are coming to town. We're going to talk about them a little bit later, but up next, let's talk about Keston here. Let's uh let's set the stage. What does he need to do? What does Luke Voigt need to do? And what are the Brewers thinking of keeping him down in Triple-A right now? 855-616-1620 again 855 855- 616 1620 that's the old National Bank talking text on if you want to participate we're talking Keston on Brewers Weekly This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ Welcome back to Brewers Weekly Got the shows at the top of the hour here running the ship I'm Dominic Catronio with Justin Pottinger our producer tonight all right, let's talk about Keston Hero. I, I think this is a proper space to do it here on the podcast form. Remember, you can subscribe to Brewers All Access as well to get all of these these feeds. Make sure you subscribe to see everything that we do here at WTMJ as your home of the Brewers uh, content related. So I feel like the Brewers Weekly would be a good spot to sit down and actually devote a full segment and not just a passing question about what's going on with Keston Hero. Okay, first and foremost, the numbers. Keston Hira, in AAA right now, in 127 plate appearances coming into tonight, he's hitting .315 with a .386 on-base percentage and a .658 slugging. That's good for a 1,000-plus OPS, 1043 to be exact. That's only in 127 plate appearances. Uh, He's got 11 home runs in AAA. 11! That's awesome! It's exactly what you would hope to see for a guy that's spent time in the big leagues to do against AAA pitching. 11 homers is tied for the fourth most in AAA. But what's he doing against lefties, Dom? He's got the reverse splits. He's not going to break this lineup unless he's doing well against lefties. It's a fair fair critique. Against left-handed pitching, in 39 plate appearances so far this season, he's hitting three he He's got a couple of home runs off lefties. Three walks, 10 strikeouts. It's not a bad ratio, especially with the uh, strikeout part. He's not walking all that much. I'm going to have a video dropping tomorrow, just talking about some of his swing adjustments. And he has gone through, I mean, just back to 2019, it seems like every year he's arrived with a new swing. I hope this one sticks. It's noticeably quieter about what's going on with his uh, pre-swing. It looks like he's getting loaded. It's a priority a lot sooner. Less timing and more get loaded and reacting, which, you know, I, I obviously haven't hit in the big league, so I'm not exactly an expert on this stuff. But it, it looks good. I, I'm, I, I'm not one of those people that's like a mechanics guru or anything like that. But I love talking hitting with people and talking about, hey, what are you feeling here? What are you seeing here? What's this all stuff? So, uh, again, the numbers against lefties is pretty good. However, it's still a pretty small sample size. And furthermore, we have seen this over and over and over again where he tears up AAA, arrives in the big leagues, and it's not the same. And it may not be totally his fault. I want to have a thought exercise with you. Keston is succeeding right now in AAA, getting everyday at bats. Okay? He is not going to get everyday at bats in the big leagues, period. Furthermore, where's he going to play? If he he can't DH, Jesse Winker's DHing? He's not going to play first, as long as Luke Voigt's on the roster, which is part of this conversation. And what's he going to do, play left field? Where are you going to put Yelich? You've got enough outfielders right now. The majority of his games have actually come in left field with Nashville. So that's an interesting development, right? 16 games in left field right now with AAA. He's also got a handful at second base and a handful at first base. He's barely been a DH, as a matter of fact, in AAA. What I look at with Keston is a guy that's taking the second chance and running with it. All you can ask is for him to continue to hit. And you are proud of the fact that he has taken this in stride. It's obviously a really tough pill to swallow when the team... You know, that you were a first-round selection, you came on the scene by storm in 19, and just hasn't been the same since. And now the team in spring training decided, we've seen enough from you. Thanks, but no thanks. That's tough, man. That is so tough mentally. But yet, the fact that nobody picked him up, nobody, everybody had a chance at him on waivers. Now, timing of that had something to do with it. At the end of spring training, a lot of teams are full with their 40-man, with their 26-man active roster, they know who they're getting. They're keeping an eye on that last little spurt of transactions, but maybe teams didn't feel like they could fix him in time to get ready for the season. And here's the the, the why not against Keston, the case that gets tougher. He's got no options remaining. The reason why the, the Brewers were willing to do what they had done the last two and a half years with Keston of bring him up, Please hope it works out and it doesn't. All right. We'll we'll have to option you back down to AAA. Stay locked in. We'll bring you up eventually. In fact, he was hitting better at this time last year in AAA than he was uh, right now. Furthermore, he got a roster crunch last year when Hunter Renfro was coming back from his hamstring strain. He was playing well. Remember, he had the walk-off against the Braves. But everyone knew he was going to get optioned pretty soon, and that's exactly what happened. So... The roster is certainly something to keep in mind. The fact that if it doesn't work out, if you bring him up and you want him to play almost every day, you want him to be the primary first baseman against left-handed pitching, it has to be right. Because with what he has done in AAA, I would be shocked, shocked, if he makes it through waivers again. Absolutely shocked. So if you're not familiar with how options work, you get three option years. Once you use up those three option years, right? You can be optioned five times within a season, but that counts as one option year. And once you're out of those option years, the team, when they try to send you to AAA, you can reject that and be cleared through waivers. And basically any other team has a chance to select you onto their roster. And that's what the Brewers will be facing if they decide to move on from Keston Hira after bringing him back up to the big leagues. There is no jeopardy with him in AAA right now, unless somebody wants to trade for him. He is going to be in the organization for the time being. But when it comes to Keston and the logjam at first base, reminder: there's also a 40 man roster crunch here too. The Brewers signed J.B. Bukowskis. He is a reliever in AAA right now. He would pro- hes one of the freshest guys on the 40 man roster. Brewers see him as a potential project and depth piece. But then you've got Brandon Woodruff, who's not yet on the 60-day IL, mind you. We'll talk about injuries a little bit later here in the program, too. You would, If you put him on the 60-day IL, that frees up a spot. But then Luis Urias is on the 60-day IL right now, and he's due back hopefully first week of June, so that's a spot that really isn't available. You've also got Matt Bush. On the field, he's not on the 60-day, though, but he's just on the IL right now. We don't think Aaron Ash will be back at some point this year. And then who knows what's going on with Justin Wilson. Remember, acquired, recovering from Tommy John surgery. He's on the 60-day IL, too. The point is, there isn't a lot of flexibility if Keston comes up. If he's going to play, it's likely going to be the outfield, and quite frankly, it's going to be in response to an injury where they know they're going to be able to get him consistent at-bats. Where does Luke Voigt fit in this equation? Luke's had a tough start. There is no denying that. But before I jump into talking about how bad it's been for Luke Voigt, I want to give him a compliment. Every time I look in the dugout, after a home run, after a big play, whatever, Luke Voigt is one of those main guys supporting his teammates. Say what you want about the performance on the field. He has not let that impact his relationships with his new teammates. The dude's a winner. The dude's been to the playoffs more often than he's not been in his Big League career Cardinals, Yankees, briefly Padres, and now here with the Brewers. He stayed with the Brewers and extended his deadline because he wanted to stay with a winner. Give him kudos for that. Now, the flip side of that coin you got to perform. There's a guy banging on the door down there in AAA right now saying, bring me back, bring me back. You're the reason why I'm in AAA right now. So Luke needs to get it together. He knows that, you know that. It was encouraging to see a double off Kershaw yesterday. He hit it hard. It just kind of died at the wall. But for Voigt, this is actually the longest stretch he's ever had in his career without a home run. 86 plate appearances going back to last season. That's a wild sentence to say. Maybe more consistent playing time will help him. The defense has been fine. He made a couple of slick plays in San Diego, remember? But he knows he's not the primary first baseman. And if Keston Hira comes up, is he going to play left? He's going to play first. So it is a puzzle piece that doesn't quite fit being Keston. But... Luke Voigt is going to be basically the determiner of how soon Keston comes up. If we get to 120 player appearances, double what we're at right now with Luke Voigt, and we're still talking about how long can he stay, it's probably going to be the end of the road for him. But I know y'all are annoyed when I say it. It's May 11th. We can talk about this at the end of the month. And we can only say it's still early for a little while longer. You cannot say it's early in June. I refuse to believe that. You know who you are by June. But I believe in this next two and a half weeks, if Luke Voigt can put up a a 40-plate appearance stretch where he's hitting 250, hits a couple bombs, maybe a couple doubles, draws a few more walks, he hasn't been walking at all. Normally, he was about a league average, above league average walker. He has been not walking at all this season. See a few more pitches and see what happens. But end of May is when it gets real. You're more than a quarter of the way into the season. You know who you are. June, you're trying to position yourself, all right, what are our needs? Who's healthy? Who's not? Then July, you finalize those trades, get ready by the All-Star break, and I refuse to look at the standings until the first week of August, period. Maybe you look at them leading into the deadline, but still, I refuse to look at standings until the first week of August. So we still got time to figure things out, and the other side is the fact that Kessinger here could slow down in AAA. I don't see that happening, but it's been really encouraging to see what he's been doing, doing his job in AAA. We're going to talk a little bit injuries, a little bit later uh, preview the Royal series, and then also we're going to have our conversation with Charlie Green later on in the program as well. Wanted to get that Keston stuff out of the way. So I wish Keston and Luke Voigt good luck, may the best man win, and here goes nothing. <laughs> so it's we are far from the end of this saga. Don't feel like just one conversation about it is the end of it. Uh, more to come here on Brewers Weekly. Put a little long talking, Keston. So we're gonna do a little injury update here in this segment. I'm Dominic Contrario. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. If you're not, if you're catching this in podcast form, remember we broadcast these live on WTMJ on Thursday nights next week, same time, same place, eight o'clock, right here at the Avenue, uh, downtown Milwaukee, Third Street Market Hall. This new pho place crossed away from us. Justin is solid, by the way. This this I'm a big fuck guy, big. Big fan. All right, we we couldn't hear you there. You didn't hit the right button. Got to try it. I had my mic down. Yep. No, it's 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 good stuff. I, I mean, I'm not endorsing a singular place, but I enjoy it. It's new. It's in a tough spot. I feel for them a little bit. It's it is. It t- is in a tough spot, tucked in the corner, staring at us all day. But uh, the pho spot f it makes us hungry. Pho. That's you pronounce it pho. Pho or maybe faux if you've seen that, but faux spot Pho. Vietnamese ramen, it's really good stuff. Anyway, uh, let's do a little injury report here real quick of just touching base, what's going on, who's imminent, who's not. Let's start with the guys that are around. Brandon Woodruff is playing catch right now. He is not on the 60-day IL, he's on the 15-day IL. Now, they can change that whenever they want and want to create a roster spot. He seems, best case scenarios end of June they just playing catch. We haven't had a chance to catch up with Brandon yet as the media. Hopefully, we will do so this weekend. And if we do, we will make sure to play that for you on Brewers Warm Up throughout the weekend. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, it's not super intimate, imminent, but at the same time, it's encouraging. Again, the subscap strain. Talking to Dontro Willis uh, this week. He was here calling the games for Dodgers television. He's talked to a lot of guys that have gone through that. He went through that earlier in his career. And he said, It's just an annoying weight because you feel good, but then as soon as you lift your arm, it almost feels like a lat strain when you know it's not. So patience is the thing that the Brewers, they caught it early, which is what they're grateful for. The imaging has been positive so far. That's why Brandon Woodruff is playing catch right now. Just catch. Just flat, playing catch. nothing, Nothing crazy, but it's good news here in the second week of May if they want him back by the end of June. Another guy that's actually doing baseball activities is Luis Arias. Luis Arias is back in Arizona right now. He's running at about 50%, according to Craig Council. Strained hamstring from opening day. He is on the 60-day I.L., which means he is not even eligible to come off the I.L. until May 30th. That was placed after opening day. You have to spend minimum 60 days, obviously. Uh, But the problem with that is that it does mean that he is currently off the 40-man roster. What would the roster crunch look like when he returns? Because right now, the roster is kind of set with the way what they've had. I would be personally absolutely flabbergasted if they optioned Bryce Terrain, given he made the club out of spring training, even with Urias on the roster. So I don't see that happening. It may come down to an Owen Miller and Mike Brasso situation. Now... Both have options. Keep that in mind. They won't be leaving the organization. But that could be what you see with making room for Urias on the active roster. As for the 40 man roster, maybe you put Woodruff on the 60 day to make room if there's nothing. Now, something can develop between now and when Urias returns. But keep in mind, he is not on the 40 man roster, and the 40 man is currently full. Another guy that's still with the team right now and that we saw on the field yesterday was Matt Bush. Matt Bush has rotator cuff tendonitis. Uh He would help out the bullpen right now. And he's only on the 15 day IL. If you think, well, Dom, where is he going to fit? Where do you put him? You look at the bullpen, there's some optionable guys in there. Uh, they got to figure out what they're doing with Colin Ray because he is on a minor league deal. You also have to figure out, uh, I mean, Elvis Peguero is optionable, but he has been filthy as of late. Joel Piams has no options. Bryce Wilson has no options. I don't think either of those guys are going anywhere. But Piguero seems like the first option you pick just because of the optionable aspect of it. And I'm sure he'll be back up at some point this year if he is the guy they choose in, in over Matt Bush. We haven't got an update on Aaron Ashby, Jason Alexander, or Justin Wilson lately. Uh, and then for Garrett Mitchell, he did have his shoulder surgery. He is not With the team as of now, I imagine he's rehabbing back in Arizona and in California. uh, Moving around, trying to get that labrum healed. He was optimistic, talking to me before the uh, announcement came out. I had caught up with him before everything hit the fan, if you will, in the clubhouse. And I was asking Garrett, I mean, when you found out it was torn, were you surprised? He said, yeah, I was shocked. But he feels, because it's his non-throwing shoulder, he can maybe... If the Brewers make the postseason, be available as a pinch runner. He wants to do that. That is the goal he's setting himself, to at least be available, make it a decision to make, to be ready to go if the Brewers make October. More power to him. Thank goodness the NL Central is really weak right now. <laughs> so, I think they miss him. I talked about it on a post game this last week during that West Coast road trip. I think they really miss him. He brought energy. He was a spark. You never know how he was going to impact the game. There's a lot of ways... He could have helped out, but he's not here for the rest of the year, at least virtually, so we'll see what it looks like next year. That's a quick little injury update. Up next, we're going to start doing a little minor league talk. Uh, We're going to catch up with Charlie Green. We're also going to talk about the minor league players of the month on the back end of that as well. Charlie Green, the assistant director of player development. You may have heard his name before on broadcasts or on our air before Charlie's a man. He's just such an awesome dude. Knows his stuff. Briefly played in the show. He's been in the organization now 19 seasons. He knows what he's talking about. When he speaks, we listen. So we're going to listen up to Charlie Green coming up next on Brewers Weekly. Back here on Brewers Weekly, I'm Dominic Catronio. Pleased to be joined now by Charlie Green. Charlie, you have been all over this organization now. This is your 19th season, part roving catching instructor, now part assistant player development. You see everyone in the minor leagues. You see a lot of folks in the big leagues, and a lot of folks will obviously talk about your catching prowess. We'll get to that in a moment. But right now, as a system, the Brewers feel like they're in a very good spot with prospects. Obviously, Jackson Trujillo steals a lot of the headlines, but I think you guys are really proud of the depth you truly have right now, and it may not be quite totally reported at
1: this point what can you say as a whole about the prospect system right now i think we're really young and i think the industry as usual is going to undervalue our guys so uh but i think we got some young and very exciting prospects especially at their lower levels uh i think we got some uh, i think we definitely have some up-and-coming guys right now jackson trurio in double
0: a youngest player in double a what was the the thought behind that in the front office of saying you know what we know he's 19 years old he's going to face pitchers that are you know three four five even six years older than him depending on their level and trying to see what he can do what's the thought behind sending a
1: 19 year old to the southern league well he accepted every challenge last year started and and extended actually and then came uh to carolina a month into the season uh and then halfway during that uh he went up to up to Appleton, and he's dominated every level. So he was ready for the next challenge. And uh, yeah, we don't send many 19-year-olds for sure. Most 19-year-olds are freshmen in college. So, and he's playing in Double A. The Sun League is a very difficult league. There's some uh, great arms in that league. Uh, so, with the traditional, uh, the Marlins, the Rays, and the Braves, we play them a lot. So he's facing good arms every night. Right now, we're seeing something
0: in that Southern League, Two where Major League Baseball is experimenting a tacky baseball right now. Now, Baseball America just wrote a report a couple of days ago about some of the numbers about it. Walks are up, strikeouts are also up, hit batters are also up. What have your pitchers told you about this tacky
1: baseball that's only going to be used for the first half of the season? Some of our guys like it. I think the guys with the high ride on the fastball like it, and some of the breaking ball, I think the sinker ballers have been hurt a little bit by it, and so it's – it's it's weird because you got different movement down there so that's the one league that's doing it so uh some teams don't like it some of our guys like it uh i know they've had a a couple different brands of the sticky balls over the last few years so uh it's it's been uh uh it's fun to watch some of the guys develop but just some of the movement is just odd in that league we're with the assistant director of player
0: development charlie green right now on breweries weekly greenie the catching is obviously the biggest, maybe storyline so far with William Contreras this season. Uh, the framing numbers are great. The blocking numbers are great. Take me back to your first few meetings with William when you knew you were acquiring him, and back into spring training of what he was eager to learn and, and how he jumped at that
1: process. Well, in the spring, you knew you were getting a you know a good athlete. I saw him in Mississippi a couple of years ago. I think pre-COVID might might have been his first time in uh, in Double A. We saw him in Mississippi when they played our Biloxi team. Uh, but the guys up here have done a great job. Walker, and Nestor have done a great job. Willem, he's, first of all, he's a great athlete, first of all. Like, he's probably the best athlete we've had back at that position since I've been here and, and all the big league catchers. He's a tremendous athlete. Uh, so, and uh, he's, I think he's happy to be playing every day. And so I think that helps. And, you know, he's wanted to learn. And uh, I think the track record of the guys here have done well, have come here. And catching this pitching staff, obviously, obviously, has helped a lot with him so but uh, he he was willing to learn and listen and so you know he's made some subtle changes and obviously obviously if you look at the numbers they're all improved when you look at
0: uh, Craig Council's comments during spring training about William Spring he said he was a sponge he kept to himself but also was really making sure to take his craft seriously you as a coach and Walker also gets credit for this too how excited are you to have a guy that's that passionate about his craft? And I saw you guys work in the breakfast club throughout spring training, getting his mechanics
1: right, and having a guy like Victor Caratini ready to help him out too. Yeah, the guys do, uh, like, uh, catching It's a different position. So it's a different breed, and I think guys are always trying to learn because, uh, you know, it's an always evolving position, and now I think – the great thing about it it's being all the defense we've always valued it, but now you can measure it and I think the guys love looking at the numbers and diving in and seeing how they can improve you know week to week uh month to month so I think it's great, and anytime you got a willing student it's is uh, always fun as a coach if i'm a young
0: catcher right and I'm getting ready to walk into brewers camp for my first time and you and walker you're going to start working with me what are the things that you're pointing out and maybe what are some of the advice of somebody that works with young catchers if there's high school coaches listening or travel ball coaches listening that say you know what we see this trait a lot in our catches what we're
1: trying to instill in our guys you got to want to catch first of all and it's like a, a thankless position a lot of times to maybe the outside world not the inside world like because it's it's always been valued but uh tough-minded but you have to want to catch and then uh but i think it's just a setup and you're going to be squatting it you're the one person on the field that's looking at the at the everybody and you're spending all your time squatting so i tell the guys you better get used to it it better be a natural squat because you're going to spend most of your life down there uh but you know you got to enjoy uh, the ups and downs and uh you know get beat up take foul balls but but uh it's always fun to work with young catchers
0: You've got another uh, success story on your hands with William Contreras, and there's something about this catching lab. Everyone talks about the pitching lab. There's something about this catching lab too, right? Yeah, I saw that video. That's a pretty good one. (laughs) Well, Charlie Green joining us here on WTMJ. Thanks, as always, for the time. Safe travels throughout the year, and hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks, Dom. All right, more to come here on Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Back with more Brewers Weekly after this. So on the heels of Charlie Green, let's talk about that tacky baseball here. This article in Baseball America at the start of the month, it re- reports on the numbers in April in 2022 versus 2023 for pitchers so far. Now the ERA is pretty stagnant. It was 4.36 in April of last year, 4.28 this year, so a 0.08 difference isn't that massive. But Walks per nine are up by almost a full walk, by three quarters of a walk practically. Then strikeouts per nine are up by a full strikeout, 11.5 versus 10.5. And then wild pitches per nine are up by about mm, 20%. Hit by pitches are about the same. Batting average is down. Uh, the ride that you heard Charlie Green talk about, meaning the fastball carrying at the top of the zone. And, you know, we talk about high-spin fastball. We talk about Garrett Cole, elevated fastball. Justin Verlander, elevated fastball, how hard it is to hit. Guys that have good four-seam late life have found themselves having more life. Now, remember, this tacky ball is only being used in the first half of the season. And it will be interesting to see how guys adjust once they get elevated to AAA and how guys adjust even within the season itself in the second half. In that vein, let's talk about the minor league pitcher and player of the month for April. This was announced yesterday by the Brewers. One of those guys in Biloxi with the Shuckers is Justin Jarvis. He was the pitcher of the month. He went 2-1, a one ERA. Only four earned runs in 23 innings pitched in the first month. 23 strikeouts, or excuse me, 29 strikeouts over the four starts as well. Originally a fifth rounder back in 2018. He's only allowed one runner fewer in three of his four starts in the first month. He also had... Uh, great starts with the uh, strikeout numbers 8 strikeouts against the uh, Pensacola or against the uh, Pensacola Blue Wahoos and then also struck out 10 against the Rocket City Trash Pandas just love saying that so uh, Jarvis has been off to a great start he's the minor league pitcher of the month for April the minor league player of the month is Tyler Black and there's no surprise with that Tyler Black hitting a 456 on-base percentage in AA he's only 22 I know Jackson Churio hogs the headlines, they're on the same team. And Tyler Black, 22 years old, a four fifty-six on on-base percentage, a nine thirty-eight OPS, batting averages and everything, two fifty, but yet he's got four homers, 10 stolen bases, 17 walks, and only 10 strikeouts. He reached base in 17 of 18 games. Shout-out to Biloxi. Shout-out to the Shuckers. Uh, Javik Blake, uh, their broadcaster, also put out a great interview with Abner Uribe that I tweeted uh, the other morning as well. You can find that at Dom underscore Katronio. Going to wrap up the program with some odds and ends. The Royals are in town. Let's talk about them next. All right, a couple more minutes left in the program. Thanks for joining us this evening. Royals are in town. Quick programming note. Royals tomorrow is not televised on traditional Bally. It will be on Apple TV. So, not that you would ever leave us here on WTMJ. If you're one of those folks that syncs up your television to listen to Bob, keep in mind tomorrow's on Apple TV. Plus. Uh, but we will be here for you. Don't worry, all weekend long. Then Bally will be back on Saturday and Sunday. Tomorrow's first pitch is at 710. Our coverage. We'll begin right after Wisconsin's afternoon news with Brewers' warm-up with Greg Matsik, talking about getting you ready for the Corbin Burns start against the Royals. They uh, originally didn't have a listed starter opposing him. It looks like it's going to be a bullpen day. Josh Taylor, a left-handed pitcher, (gasps) but he's a reliever. Looks like it's going to be an opener type thing. Josh Taylor will get the start for the Royals in Game 1 of this series. Saturday, it'll be Zach Greinke, in Adrian Hauser, so a pair of varieties there. Jordan Lyles on Sunday for the Royals. And TBA for the Brew Crew. That's what's ahead. And we'll be on the air again right after Wisconsin's Afternoon News with pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock uh, for a 7-10 first pitch. Then on Saturday, it'll be 6 first pitch. We'll be on the air at 5 with Brewers warm up with yours truly. And then finally on Sunday, we'll be on the air at noon with Brewers warm up again with yours truly for a 110 first pitch before the Brewers hit the road and see the Cardinals once again. They'll head to St. Louis Monday through Wednesday, off day next Thursday, and then the white-hot Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, as I conclude the program here, I've only got a minute or so left, but I just want to Say one quick thing here. Obviously, this week was uh, an odd week for a colleague of mine and a Wisconsin native, Glenn Kuiper. I wanted to just give my thoughts. I know a lot of folks know my connections with the Oakland A's and my dad uh, and everything in that regard. I just want to say Glenn has been nothing but incredible to me. I've never heard him say that word before. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it was an unfortunate slur that slipped out of his mouth Uh, during a live open it's not making the word acceptable by any means but at the same time i have never ever heard him say that word in 15 plus years of knowing glenn uh i support the man i understand the vitriol and everything that is happening around this conversation it's tough and it's uh it's just one of those things it's an unfortunate moment and it's means so much more to just say, oh, it was an accident. It's more than that. And I know Glenn knows that. I know the Oakland A's know that, but I just want to express that he knows he made a mistake. We all know it's an unfortunate mistake, but at the same time, Glenn is somebody that has helped me in my career immensely. And I hope that he can find peace at the end of the day, whatever the solution is. One of my mottos is this too shall pass whatever the A's choose to do. Um, Glenn's been a a big help to me in my career. So I just want to send him my support, my love, and uh, hopefully we can all come to a peaceful solution. I'm Dominic Catronio. We'll see you next week.